Hey everyone, Nick Chamberlain here, and I just wanted to let you know that we are coming out with new episodes very soon. So stay tuned, and you're going to love what we have to offer inside the offer. Hello and welcome to Inside the Offer, a podcast that is dedicated to connecting and bringing life to those who are on a mission to provide for their family by building their own successful business. We believe that the key to standing out in the crowded world of entrepreneurship is having a unique offer that sets your business apart. Whether you're a stay-at-home parent looking to create a side hustle, a recent college graduate with an entrepreneurial spirit, or a seasoned business owner, this podcast is for you. We'll sit down with individuals who have navigated the unique challenges of self-employment to share their stories and insights. We'll uncover the paths that have led them to where they are today and the strategies they use to build and grow their businesses. Don't forget to hit subscribe on your favorite podcast catcher so together we can inspire each other to reach our goals and create a fulfilling future for our families. Let's go. Hey everyone and welcome back to Inside the Offer. I am your host Nick Chamberlain and I'm super excited about this episode with Taylor Martin today. He is the CEO and founder of Design Positive, which is a full service strategic branding and accessibility agency. So if you need a website, a brand redesign, they got you covered. And in this interview, I talk with Taylor and we really dive into what is branding and we take a look behind the scenes on how his business operates. We learn about how he acquires new clients all the way through his sales process. And he gives us some great insight into what it looks like to run a web and design agency. Here's my conversation with Taylor. Hey, Taylor. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. You bet. So can you tell me a little bit about your origin story and how Design Positive came into being? Oh, man, I don't get that question every day. (laughs) Um, You know, Design Positive came out out of uh, what I thought was I saw a need in the market for sustainable marketing and branding. Sustainability was really big on my mind at the time, and this is 2007, I think it was. And so I started a company called Vox Verde, the green voice that went on for about two years and it was great. But then I worked on this, this project where we had to do a website and we had to do it with web accessibility in mind, Mm -hmm. which to me, I didn't know what web accessibility was, but for those listeners out there that do know, great, I'm glad you know, but those that don't. It means that you're creating a website that is accessible for people regardless of any disability they may or may not have. So you have to design it a certain way and you have to code the website a certain way so that the two work together to make sure, you know, if you have low vision or if you're blind or if you're, Mm -hmm. you know, cognitive disabilities or, or whatever your disability may be. There are third party software and hardware, um, items out there in the world that, that allows them to interact with a website when it's properly designed and coded. So once I got over that hurdle and learned about that, I realized, you know what I really want to do? I just want to, I just want to do good work for great companies, you know, companies that have a mission, companies that have a purpose, you know, and that's when it changed to design positive. 
So it wasn't design positive when we first started off. It was Vox Verde and it turned into design positive because I just wanted to focus on, on you know, creating a better world actually by, you know, the, by what I do. Okay. So what do you actually do for your clients being design positive and helping them out? Is it just web accessibility or what it all does that entail? Yep. So we do a broad range of things for our clients. I always kind of put it in like three big buckets with like the fourth bucket being the kind of junk drawer. <laughs> there's, there's all these little requests that come out that we just end up doing because, hey, we just need this one thing. Can you do this? It's like, yes, we can do that. And then we do that. But mostly it's um, web design, like I mentioned. And the web design is from from creation of the idea, the concept, the ideation, all the way down to the final launch. And we do everything in between. And then another bucket is marketing materials and annual reports, big, big messaging print items. Um, that's a, that's another big section uh, wedge of our work. And then the third one is brand development and branding, rebranding, anything in the branding space. And that's, that's, you know, sometimes we, we get hired to do that. They love working with us so much. Then we just kind of gravitate to the other projects, or sometimes it might be a mix of the two. Like, we have this website, we have this old brand. Can you refresh the brand and give us a beautiful website that has all these functionality and can can accommodate all these requests that we have? So the the branding thing to us is is hyper critical because if a client does have a brand that we see um, as not as well performing as it could be, we always let them know. We, we tell them that you don't have to change your brand. We just see this and we want you to know that this is what we see. It's for you to make a decision on. And maybe they, they, don't, they don't pull uh, the trigger now, it might be next year, but at least we can give them information because we want to be, be of value. We want to be of you know, great service to our clients. And I think if you're, if you're always doing that with your relationships, regardless of business that you're in, you're always going to succeed. So with... Those three, the web design, the marketing materials, and your reports, and the brand development, are. do you see one of those as like one of your top like services that you provide, or are they equal, or how does that work with your business? Well, as you just illustrated, branding is at the foundation of everything we okay. do. So when we look at a brand, if we're going to do an annual report, they already have a good, strong brand. Mm -hmm. We have what's called the brand guidelines. Typically, companies have a brand guidelines. And brand guidelines can be anywhere from like a two or four pager to, you know, a 200, 400 pager. Um, and it just depends on all the things you want to cover in that brand. The more, the merrier, as far as I'm concerned, because what you're doing is you're getting everybody to have communication sign-off and executive mm -hmm. sign-off on how we want to um, push our brand forward. So th those are all really important things. So when we first meet a client, we come in as a blank canvas. We don't have any idea of what this project is going to turn out to be like. We have no preconceived ideas, thoughts, or anything. What we have to do is we have to spend all this time researching them, researching their history, researching mm -hmm. where they're at now, and then the market and the players that are around them in their space, and then understand from their point of view what the future is all through the lens of their brand. So I think branding is the mm -hmm. number one thing because it, it just runs through everything. Can you tell me a little bit more about branding? I guess from my naive, naive perspective, I think of branding as just like your logo and your fontness and your colors and maybe some of your copy on your website. What all does it entail? 
Yeah, we we could literally talk for hours oh. on this one because <laughs> because like I mentioned, some of those style goes brand guidelines can be okay. you know hundreds of pages, because each one of those pages and those sections within that um, guidelines book can talk about like radio, for instance, how mm-hmm. our voice is going to be heard, the voice, the words that mm-hmm. we use, and how we want to portray our brand uh, vocally on radio. Um, as well as on YouTube. And you could just go on and on and on, print ads, newspaper ads. But in terms of like a, um, like the, I, I would say like the big items on branding. Yes, yes, the logo. Everybody thinks the logo and they think a rubber stamp. Boom, 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 boom. But that's not always true. Sometimes a logo has a, um, a horizontal version and a vertical form because sometimes you don't have the space for a horizontal or you don't have space for a, a vertical or, or maybe a square one. A square one and a circular one are easier because those can fit just about anywhere. You don't need a horizontal and a version of that because it's square. So that that's that's one thing. And then you might have it in different colors. You might have it in full color. It might be two colors, three colors, or full color. Um, or it could be just in black and white, right? Um, so you have the logo and all those different variations that I just mentioned. Then you get into colors, you know, your, the color palette of your brand. You want to be consistent with that so that when people interact with your brand across all mediums, they get the same vibe and feeling from one medium to the next. They don't think, you know, is this design positive website? You know, they, they should just know because the way you're using their colors, the way you're using typography, that's another item. Typically, uh, brand guidelines, you'll have one or two, maybe three different typefaces that you'll use. And that's it. Now, you might have some secondary um, fonts you might use for internal communications because, you know, you you can't have professional fonts on every single person's computer out there. And then you have PowerPoint and it's a whole mess, right? So you might have some... Um, you might have some fonts that people use that are that can handle that and you're consistent with those. The key word there is consistency. So we talked about logo, color formats. We talked about the um, color palette, typography. You can get into photography in terms of the, the photographic style that you want to evoke. Um, a lot of people want to make sure their, their photos don't look stocky, if you will. They, they want to make sure that you know a certain demographic is being represented, maybe more of one than the other or a broad range. Um, and you also want to, you don't want them to be too happy, you know, if you're trying to be serious about whatever it is you're doing, but you want them to be real people because you want people to connect with your brand, right? And then we also add, another thing we add is accessibility. Um, accessibility is something that we've been adding into brand guidelines for the last two years now. And that's where we go in and we look at the color contrast ratios of, of the colors of their brand. And sometimes, um, you might have a color that's on your website that that is not exactly like in your brand guidelines. And that's because the color is not dark enough and you need to have enough color contrast online so that the uh, font, the, 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 the type is legible for somebody with low vision. So that that's, we have to go in and explain all that. And there's a lot of different degrees of that when you follow the WCAG AA compliance um, that is, that is kind of the golden standard. Are you familiar with WCAG? Nope, I'm not, but now I am. <laughs> no like, one is really. <laughs> it's also people, people do know like section 508, you know, that that's the government's version of it. And they're, they're pretty similar, uh, w- with each other. But again, you can just go on to anything and everything when it comes to a brand guidelines, you can go down to the style of artwork that you do for all your social media posting and how many words you use. You can focus on your keywords for your SEO, like if we're talking about this part of our business, we use these keywords mostly. 
this type of our business, we use these keywords and so on. You can just go down. And then you could also talk about the type of imagery that you use. If you're not using photography, you might be using illustrations and the style of those illustrations. So your photography oh <laughs> might have a certain style to it because the style of the photography is trying to evoke, again, that, that vision that you want to have for your brand. And you're going to have your mission statement, your values, mm. um, and um, your hopefully your purpose statement, which is like the number one thing to have on a brand guidelines these days. Mm -hmm. So again, I, I could literally go on for hours about this. <laughs> okay, but now I want to kind of like, how did you learn all this? And how did you get into this? And is this something you've always been passionate about? So that that's a that's a good question. So I would say I had um, I had great teachers when I was in college, which it seems like yesterday, but it was literally twenty six years ago. <laughs> um, I went to Savannah College of Art and Design. I had some amazing teachers, and and I I think the best art facility for college in the United States. It is hands down just awesome. I mean, there's just so many tools at your beck and call that you could just run and experiment and play with. So. That was, that's what kickstarted my career. But when I got into it, I just fell in love with business. Mm -hmm. I just love business as a machine and the cogs and the wheel and everything of how it operates as a whole. There's just so many tentacles of it. And branding has to be on all of them, basically, because even if you're um, communicating down the chain of command, you still want to have your messages and your PowerPoints on brand with the company because you want to keep that consistent, that voice as well as your advertising, of course, and talking with your um, suppliers, you want to make sure all your communications with your company is on brand. So I think to answer your question, I just fell in love with business. Mm -hmm. And in so doing, um, I love communicating for businesses because from my point of view, you, well, I should say I, I have to literally stand in the shoes of the corporation and look at the world through their lens mm -hmm. You know, I have to look at it from their shoes, their vantage point and say, I understand. And now that I understand, I have to take the knowledge I have from my experiences in my career and then put them to work mm -hmm. so that clients can benefit from all the traps and tribulations that I've been through throughout my career. Were you in the corporate world for a little bit then? So I, ju I jumped around and yeah. I... I um, I had a I had a talk at my alma mater one year, and someone asked the question about um, what jobs should we go after, <laughs> and that kind of points to what you said. When I went out, I wanted to get diversity, and mm -hmm. I mean diversity in jobs. So the first job I had was at a service bureau, which is a, a place where you get prints made. Like you think of like a Kinkos today, you know, get all these different things printed and stuff. Back then, it was a little bit more technical. But I did that. I got into advertising. I got into publication design. I went into nonprofits. I went to advocacy advoc uh, advocacy work. Mm -hmm. And then I went into investor relations. And going through all those different vantage points, those different lenses, gave me a more well-rounded view of communications itself. Mm -hmm. And so I, I pull from those strengths, all those experiences into the work I do today. When I started Vox Verde Design Positive, um, I wanted to work with companies that I thought were doing something good in the world. You know, mm. they had a mission or a purpose. And that can be a publicly traded company. It could be a private company. It could be a nonprofit. It can even be a government agency, which we've done work for all of them. So 
Yeah. Well, no, that's fine. I was also trying to try to get back to like, I kind of want to figure out like, when did you get like the business bug to be like, I want to start my own business to use everything that I've mm. learned to help these other companies out who are doing a positive things in our world today. One thing I also did was um, I started off on my own in the middle of all that, that I talked about earlier. And um, I, I did it because I just had a, I just have this in, inert desire to build businesses, whether it's for myself or for my clients. Like when clients ask me to do something, I come back with questions because I need to know the background, the, the genesis as, as to why we're, we're being requested to do X, Y, and Z. Because with my experience, I can then understand, okay, so if they want to go from point A to point D and they want to skip these other steps, you know, knowing what I know about them, they may not want to skip C. So I'll bring it to their attention. I always bring things to my client's attention. And I say, listen, I know you want to do A to D, but I think C is something that we should do before we do D. And these are my reasons why. We don't have to do it, but I want you to understand what I know so that you can make a decision. I do a lot of that with my clients because again, I'm just trying to bring value and you know, a, a listener's ear. Yeah. So talking about clients, how has been your strategy for your business on how do you find new clients? I would go back, you know, since we're talking about this, the genesis of the design positive, um, when I first started my business, I got a call from an old client out of the blue, just out of the blue. Uh, hey, you know, I, I, I moved to this new company and we need all this work done, blah, blah, blah. And where are you at right now? What are you doing? And I was like, well, I'm starting my own business. And they were like ecstatic. They were like so happy. And I have to report with you that they're still my client today. So they've been our client for over 15 years. And now they're one of the top, the largest top 10 nonprofits in the United States. Nice. Wow. So, so they have grown exponentially over those 15 years. And we've been there every step of the way, building their website, their branding, their booths, their marketing materials, annual reports, you name it. From that, doing that large project, I'm sure you just had a very nice portfolio now where people go to your website and then it's going to be, what is it, primarily referrals then on how people would discover you? That the, that was basically a self-referral, the first one yeah. I had. Yeah. And then um, next job we would have is somebody would either refer us to somebody that knew us. I was in business groups there. I would get in front of other different business leaders, thought leaders in the space, and they would refer me because they knew my business, what I did, my quality. Um, and that, that was referrals. Referrals are the best line of, um, of business because when you get referred somebody, it's like their guards down, they realize he, you know, Taylor's the one I need to speak with, you know, cause, and then of course, when I talk to them, I'm completely open to them not being my client. I don't look at the, the, the project I say, can I be of service to them? Are we going to bring value to them? And if we align, then we move forward. We um, spend a lot of our time getting referrals online on like Google Business, uh, LinkedIn, and we refer people to those places when we put in um, proposals, whenever we get an RFP. We always highlight that with people that, you know, when you engage with us, there's a 100% chance you're going to enjoy the, the end product that we create for you. So referrals have been key. And then for people getting to know you through those referrals, were you doing networking? You're going out to events or you're doing other kind of marketing strategies? 
So I used to do the events um, in the early days. I was going to any and every event I could get my hands on and drop my business cards all over the place and uh, make connections that way. But nowadays, with the the website, the website, the internet is is you know robust as it is now through social media, and we started a podcast that doesn't really talk about design per se, but it's more about business because again, I just have such a strong affinity for business itself. And understanding that businesses need to follow more of a triple bottom line mindset. And, you know, triple bottom line for people who don't know, it's basically people, planet, and profit. And when companies follow that as their kind of guiding light for their business, they don't just look at their profit bottom line. They look at their their, um, sustainability bottom line, and they look at their people as a bottom line. And if you can check the boxes and be in the black on all three of those, your company is going to be so much more successful. Yeah, this is also why I wanted to get you on this podcast, because if you go through and you listen to the triple bottom line, you don't really talk about yourself that much. And we don't really understand like what you exactly you do. So I wanted to dive a little bit more into your story and to learn more about you and how Design Positive came into being. So once you have a client who's been referred, referred to you and they reach out to you and they seem like a good fit and they you're like, they're going to be a great fit for you as a client. What's the next step in the process for you? The main thing is um, once I go through the what I call the information dump is where I get to listen to all that their needs, desires, and outcomes that they want to accomplish. And once I understand that and I look at where their brand is now, then I can see if we align. And if we align, the next steps would be to build out um, what I call a three-tier uh, proposal. Um, because sometimes clients, you know, when, they, when you spell everything out in a proposal, if you just throw out one price item, it's so definitive that it's like, this is it. And that's, that's not, there's nothing else. I break it down to three different tiers, depending on the client. And, um, and I think that gives them baby steps as well as like medium steps and then big steps. And they can choose what works for their budget and their, their, um, their funding. Because sometimes like with nonprofits, they have funders. Sometimes it's businesses that are private and they have, you know, revenue streams coming in to pay for it. So I always try to be, you know, a little fluid in that regard. Yeah, that's what I've been trying to do as well with my business. Now with the, let's say the three tier proposal, like is the top tier just like it's all inclusive, top dollar, middle tier is like you take away some services, a little less. And then the bottom tier is just like you don't do too much. And this is what I could provide for you. Or how do you structure your proposal tiers? Yeah, so it's 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 all that and more. Okay. Because when I when I when I engage with the client, I, I have to know. Like I said, I really spend a lot of time listening to them. And that's like during a one on one discovery call, or what do you call that? Correct. Okay. Yeah, I would just call it like an interview. You know, okay. they're interviewing us, and you know, I inter- I'm interviewing them because. I don't want to have a client that I'm not going to be able to provide great value yep. to. Like if I know I can move the needle for them in big ways. That gets me excited. That gets the team excited, yep. you know, because we can come in and we know what to do and we know how to bend that needle over. So those are exciting projects that we just love. Now, if I get a call with somebody and I see they're asking for something that they may, may not be in my wheelhouse, or maybe they're looking for something very specific that we don't specialize in, mm-hmm. then what I do is I go through my Rolodex and I say, you know, I don't think we'd be a good fit but let me respond to you via email tomorrow. I'm going to reach out to some of my contacts and I'll try to put you in the, in a better path. So one, we didn't waste their time. And two, again, I want to show value to them, even though they didn't hire me, anything like that. I just, I don't want to waste time. I don't want to waste my time, anyone's time. So I think by doing that, 
it provides goodwill. And then later on, they might come back to us. We've had that happen before. Or one time we had somebody that we did that with came back and hired us for consulting so that, that we could help guide them through the process because they trusted us so much. And the companies that they were interviewing, they just didn't know which one would be the best for them. So so one, the first tier can be like the bottom, bottom tier can be just like bare bones, what, what you know, they think that they, what they are requesting or what they need. The next one could be anywhere from just a little bit added to it, or it could be a whole bunch added to it. And then, yes, like the, the top tier is like everything I think that they could possibly need to get their brand and marketing or website or whatever it is that we're working on with them to a whole nother level. And then I, ex- I explain that explicitly the pros and cons of, of why we're offering this to them, why we're proposing it to them so that they can understand and they can weigh a balance mm-hmm. of how everything is. Okay. And have you gone through different um, offers like that with maybe like one tier, two tiers? Have you noticed that this three tier proposal system has been the best for you? Absolutely. hundred percent. No question. I also, I just wanted to back up a little bit about when you're doing the interview process, do you have any kind of, um, I, I guard post guidelines or something when people are trying to have an interview? Cause have you gone through like an hour interview and you're like, wow, this is not a good client at all. Like I need to get out of, out of this. Like how do you prevent that from happening? You ask certain questions at okay. the first. Oh, the okay. 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 And it's, and some of those questions that there are a little bit of a, and I remember having um, somebody I was hiring for something and they used that on me, but they did it in a very rude way. And I was like, so turned off. I was like, you know, I never want to be that person. Okay, yeah. <laughs> but but basically what you do is you find out, you say, okay, you know, what are you trying to do? What are you trying to accomplish? You get all that out. And then once you get that out, which is only a couple minutes, so it's not that big of a time, you know, waste. Um, but then once I know that, I say, you know, what I'm hearing that you're wanting and what I see on your website, where you're at, let's talk about, you know, if they want to upgrade their website. Um, you want to get from here to there and I'm looking at it, you know, between X and X dollars. Does that sound like it's within your, you know, space of budget? And sometimes they'll just say, no, that's way outside. Or they'll be like, no, that works. That, that's totally in line. I said, then we should, keep, we should continue talking. If it is outside of their budget, then I, if I can, I try to, again, steer them down a path that, that they can find somebody that can work within their budget. Yeah, I've been noticing that also kind of in my space of I'm in the podcast industry, Mm -hmm. there are larger podcast production companies and they are charging, it was from 75,000 to $255,000 for eight episode series. Can you believe that? And so people are constantly reaching out to them. And so the founder, she now has a list of smaller podcast production people. And then she says, well, what's your budget? And then she starts shooting them out to people within their budget. And um, so that's like kind of her um, uh, just kind of guidelines of just like before you even get into the door, like with the interview, it's just like, this is our current rate. Is that in your rate? And for most people, it's not. And that's because she only works with Fortune 500 companies. And I was like, wow, I had no idea people were spending that much money on a podcast. But now, go, but going back to you, Taylor. So after you have the sales and everything is locked and loaded, do you send them a, um, a contract or how, how does that work on kind of like the legal side of things? Yeah. So the proposal is a contract. I do it all in one. I don't, I don't like wasting time as I keep saying over and over again. So even our proposal, 
We don't do 20, 30, 40 page proposals. We do seven. Okay. And every once in a while, we might add on additional pages to it if they ask for it in their RFP. Um, if we feel it's necessary, sometimes we don't feel like it's, ne- it's necessary. And we just tell them that, you know, we don't have time to put all this, gather all this information they want to together. But we do tell them, please, by all means, call any one of our referrals. Mm. And we always give more than ample referrals. I'm also trying to learn about the different terms. You have a proposal or a contract or a client agreement or a quote or an estimate. Are those all kind of the same, but different? Or what's yes. your view on those? No, it's all the same. So the proposal is the estimate and we lock it into a price. I wouldn't, it's not an estimate, it's a quote. So this is the price it's going to be uh, okay. for them. And what we don't like doing is we don't always like, you know, managing our hours. I hate managing my hours. And so when we do a project on a, on a fee-based, we don't have to worry about hours. We have a set budget and then our team goes to work. And we don't think about that. We think about are the client's you know, needs and directions and their communications that, that we're trying to solve. So we spend all our time on that as opposed to how many hours I spend here and how many hours I spend there. Oh, yeah. That's been a game changer in my business too, getting away from the hourly rate. Just like, oh, here's the flat price. And then the companies can then budget that into their their budget. And they don't have any like surprises or anything. Do you ever have sometimes you're going through the project and then after the sign project and then a client wants a, like way more additional things and they're not wanting to pay more? How do you handle that situation? Yeah, that's easy. So whenever that, whenever they, the request comes up and this happens for any request, any type of request is out of scope. We highlight that immediately. We flag it and say, this request is not within the, the contracted scope of work. Um, but we're happy to budget this out as an additional item. Um, can we have a, can we have a conversation about it? Um, instead of pricing it out right then and there, um, Mm. I do that so that, um, we can address it immediately. Anytime something like that happens, you address it immediately. So they know that you're very aware of what's in budget and what's out of budget. That doesn't happen very often though. Okay. Yeah. No, that's, that's good practice. And I guess for me, kind of like just starting off, it's as soon as someone mentions like a little request more, I'm just like, okay, I'll do it just so they're happy. But I feel like, well, well, let me, let me say this though. Sometimes when someone asks for something little, we just let it, we just let it slide. It's like, okay, we'll do it. And then again, if they ask something that's, that's more, that's a larger tier item, like I was mentioning earlier, I might even make reference, you know, these other items were also outside of scope. But we did them anyway because they're small and, you know, we just did them because you wanted them done. But this one is a, is a much larger tier item. And so what I'm doing by doing that is I'm telling them, hey, you've had some out of scope items that we've already, we did anyway and didn't ask you for additional funding. And then two, we're educating them on how this one that's at hand is a larger, you know, scope item to review. Yeah, that no, that's a really good way to handle it. How has your, I guess from day one of when you had your first client on how you priced everything to now, like how has your pricing structure developed and changed over the years? Drastically. You know, um, we were doing hourly way back in the day and then we did, we ditched hourly and we went project base. Um, Having said that, we do have existing clients and the existing clients we do upkeep for them on their website or some small marketing materials. And we'll typically bill by the hour for those. 
But those are more like management, you know, managing a brand as opposed to just coming out and giving them a flat fee um, for the month and they don't use all those hours. I feel a little guilty Mm -hmm. with that. Um, So we just allow them to do an hourly billing that way. But we started off hourly for everything and then we moved over to um, project-based. Okay. And then when you set your rates, how do you determine on the rates that you set? Is it on the the cost of everything, like how much you want your income to be? Uh, does that make sense? Yeah, I'd say all the above and more because the, the thing is, oh, is yeah. like um, some organizations have a bigger budget, but they also have a bigger brand and there's bigger, there's a lot more time and um, that you have to spend on research and requirements to get them to the level that they want to be at, that they want to be seen and communicating on. So there's a lot of time and energy that goes into that. And, you know, it, I would just lean on my years of experience to be able to bring up that number to where it needs to be. But in those regards, you know, it, it's, it, it depends on the brand. Okay. Yeah. Cause it's always, pricing always seems kind of like the wild west in like in certain industries. Cause if you go and research competitors, they're at like one end and someone's at a whole nother end and like, then you have the people working with the Fortune 500 companies and they're at like a whole different stratosphere and you're just trying to figure mm-hmm. out, okay, how do I place my value where I'm at and how can I appropriately appropriately uh, price my services where it's going to be you know, beneficial for me, for my team, and it's going to be a good rate for your company. Well, let me just give you a little bit more insight. And when you mentioned five, Fortune 500, I've communicated for them before. And mm-hmm. when you get to that level, they are a lot more specific and critical of every little element, which just means that production time of whatever it is you're creating is going to take longer because more eyeballs are looking Mm -hmm. at it and Mm -hmm. more critical thinking is going to be involved looking at it. So you might do something that has four or five rounds of revisions on a typical client, and you might do 10 to 12 for something like them because they don't know where to put this, you know, this period or this comma, you know, so- (laughs) Things like that can happen. So Taylor, tell me a little bit about the future of Design Positive and where you see this company going. It's a good question because um, right now we've been trying to redesign our website for a couple of years now. And you think, you know, it's like the cobbler has no shoes um, because, you know, we're busy working on clients' work and our website gets put on the back burner and then it pulls off the back burner and then we have to get our head space back into it. And by the time we get into it, we do a few things and then boom, it gets busy again. Um, but one thing we're going to be doing is we're going to be changing it to, we're, we're going to be focusing on branding and web accessibility. Because as I mentioned earlier in the show, you know, branding is a common thing throughout everything. And branding is really the foundation of all marketing. Once you know the foundation of a brand, then you can build anything on top of it. So we're experts at creating brand guidelines and communicating through brand guidelines. Um, So regardless of whatever company it is, we're very good at management of of brand and brand communications. So we're going to be a brand, uh, I would say maybe like, it's either going to be like strategic branding and web accessibility or sustainable brands and web accessibility or accessibility specialists or something like that, because those are the two things that we really do a lot of. And the web accessibility is kind of a unique service that we offer that not a lot of design firms do. Unfortunately, there's not, there's only like 10% of the internet is actually accessible, which is kind of sad because it's been that way for over 10 years. 
that that's that's one of our our unique qualities that we do. And and I got to tell you, more and more proposals that come out, I keep seeing it. You know, in there. Uh, web accessibility compliance, and sometimes they might, you know, designate the level, but you know, the, I always come back and say that's our specialty, and we are the designers for a lot of accessibility expert companies, meaning companies that are experts in web accessibility, but maybe not in design. So they come to us for design because we understand design and web accessibility and we design for them and then they can manage the the accessibility and the coding and stuff like that. So we have a lot of experience in accessibility. So those are the two things we're going to be redirecting our, our company towards. Yeah, that's exciting. You got a lot going on. How can people reach out to mm. you and learn more about you, Taylor? You know, we um, I talked earlier about social media and we ended up just moving everything more towards LinkedIn because LinkedIn is the world for business. So we have our business page. You can just search for Design Positive or I'm an open networker. So you can link up to me on LinkedIn. Just look for Taylor Martin Design Positive and I'll pop up at the top. Mm-hmm. Um, or you can follow our podcast that I mentioned earlier, The Triple Bottom Line, and you can follow us there. Um, any one of those three are, are great ways to reach out and connect with us. Perfect. And I will have all those links on the show notes. And I want to thank you so much, Taylor, for coming on the show today. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me, Nick. Thank you for listening to another episode of Inside Their Offer. I'm so thankful for spending this time with you. And if you can, I would love for you to rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Stay tuned for the next episode because we are going to be speaking with a voiceover artist. We're going to dive into his business and learn how Spencer Cannon from Spencer Cannon Media, and we're going to learn everything about being a voiceover actor in today's world. Here we go. Hey everyone, Nick Chamberlain here, and I just wanted to let you know that we are coming out with new episodes very soon. So stay tuned, and you're going to love what we have to offer inside the offer.